Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Create Your Life series, where we help you maximize your potential and results in the area of personal development, entrepreneurship, and travel. And I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown. Create your life. Create ta propre vie. Create your life. Create your life. Create la tua vita. Create your life. Don't skip your life. You better create your life. <laughs> create your life. Create la vie. Create your life. Create your life. Beautiful people, happy Sunday. This is your host, Kevin Y. Brown. It is a pleasure to, to be with you on this Sunday. First things first, today is 9-11, which uh, was a very tragic day for us here in the United States in 2001. So the first thing that we want to do is take a moment of silence for those who had fallen on that day. Thank you all for taking that moment of silence with us. Today, we have a, a superstar here in, in the house, uh, so I can't wait to get to her. But before we have our guest on, we have to do catch up. And so for catch up, this past week, something really amazing happened. Um, as you know, I'm a huge basketball fan, and I'm actually a huge fan of Allen Iverson. And Allen Iverson was actually inducted into the Hall of Fame this week. And so I sat and I watched his speech. Allen Iverson gave a 30-minute speech about his time and his experiences in the NBA. And for those of you unfamiliar with Allen Iverson, he played for the Philadelphia 76ers. He was a franchise player there for a long period of time. I mean, he was an MVP. I had scoring titles and Allen Iverson is probably listed. He's listed at about six feet, but all in all, he's probably about five foot 11, five foot 10, maybe 155 pounds. I mean, a lot of people say that he's pound for pound, one of the best basketball players to ever play or the best um, and he gave this speech and listening to him, listening to his speech, he was being high, heavily recruited. He was a, one of the top football recruits in the country, as well as one of the top basketball recruits. And incident took place in his hometown of Hampton, Virginia, and he actually lost all of his opportunities, became incarcerated and things like that. And when he was cleared of all the charges, he had no other opportunities. And so his mother went to the coach at Georgetown, Coach Thompson, and asked him, could Allen play? And the coach gave him an opportunity. And lo and behold, Allen loved football, but is now a basketball Hall of Fame superstar. But the most interesting thing that I found about that was is that Allen Iverson, throughout his career, no matter how bad the media talked about him, he remained himself and he actually changed the culture of basketball. So when you see guys nowadays with those longer basketball shorts, you see how a lot of guys have wild, funky hair in the NBA or a lot of guys have tattoos and things like that. Like that's a part of the culture. Allen Iverson was the pioneer of that. And I think that that speaks to what creating your life means. You know, you, you're going to run into obstacles, but also while you're running into those obstacles, if you remain, your, remain yourself and remain consistent, then you can create your life that you want and you can do amazing things such as he did. And one of the other things that I found that was really amazing about what Iverson did was, is while he was up there, 
he was thanking the people who assisted him on his journey. And to me, that's big because you never accomplish things by yourself. There's always other people who have a hand in your success. Of course, he's given multiple jobs and different opportunities to other people. And speaking of giving jobs and multiple opportunities to people, I want to introduce our guest. We have today here, Ms. Sharon Joseph, who is the founder of Harlem Lanes. Sharon, please say hello to the Create Your Life Series family. Hello, good afternoon. I am such an honor to be here with you guys, especially on this day. This day is very meaningful for me. As most people know, it was a day where I, you know, you always, people say, well, what's the day that caused you to think about where you are today? And, and today had a very important impact on my life. 9-11. Wow. So Sharon, you are a Harlem native. Yes. You know, you were here before Harlem was actually cool or the place to be, right? Well, Harlem was always cool, oh, but before the rest <laughs> of you guys understood that Harlem was cool. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Set me straight. Set me straight. And you you founded this organization uh, or this this company, uh, Harlem Lanes, and you, you received some inspiration from the incident that took place uh, with the two planes crashing on 9-11 in 2001. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, at the time I was working on Wall Street, I was actually working in the area and um, I had just had my daughter. She was just born in March of that year and on my way to work. And, you know, it was grace of God. I just happened to have a job interview that day and I wasn't there. And so um, like so many of us, my family was looking for me because they thought I was down there. And it was really the grace of God that I wasn't there because I could have been one of those victims. And when I finally got home and we all know how hard it was to get home that day, you know, I realized I had a newborn baby and I kept thinking, if I had not come home, what would my life have meant? What impact would I have had? And I realized from that day on, I wanted to try to live my life having impact, having impact on my family and having impact on my community. And I remember saying to God, thank you so much. And, you know, heart going out to all those people that had, you know, had lost their loved ones. But I felt like it was a time, one, to give back to the community and give back to my family. And from that day forward, I was decided that I wanted to try to put something in place. And that was the birth of Harlem Lanes for me. Wow. So Harlem Lanes, how do you go from idea to actual establishment? How, how does that take place? Well, first of all, I think you said it in your opening. You can never do anything with just yourself. Um, mm. So I want to give credit to my former partner um, because she was also someone who stood by me at the time. And when I told her about the idea, um, she was also very encouraging And so when you talk about having an idea, Mm -hmm. we were just walking down 125th Street. And like so many people, like I said, we were all kind of talking about 9-11 and talking about, you know, what we wanted to do differently in our lives. And she said, what do you think Harlem needs? And I said, we need some place where families can go. Um, We need some place that not just a restaurant, because, you know, when you go to a restaurant, you can only talk to the person to your right, to your left, maybe. Absolutely. And, um, you know, prior to that, you could have started a business, but it had to be dot com. But. It was a time when we all just wanted to be with our families. And I said, you know, I think we should do something that will bring families together, but yet be fun. And right. um, I play basketball, so I, I appreciate the Allen Iverson story, even though I'm a Knicks fan and I love uh, my Knicks. Uh, hey, well, we could disagree on that one, too. <laughs> We're going to disagree. Um, We're definitely going to disagree. You know, I'm a true New Yorker, so I try to support my teams. But, I respect that. Um, you know, you can't play basketball forever. Right. But bowling, and I'd never bowl because, you know, we didn't have a bowling alley in Harlem. Bowling is something you can do when you're three. You can do it till you're 92 years old. And it was something that was also cost effective. Mm. You know, I love golf, but it's expensive. Right. So I just wanted to do something I thought that would have an impact on the community and create a place that we could all go. And that's what Harlem Lanes was for me. Wow. Wow. So you have this idea. How did you find your business partner? 
Well, my business partner was my aunt. Um, so, you know, that's a whole other story about whether or not you do business with family. And she was very supportive of the idea. She thought it was a great idea. And she actually started going around doing some research about the idea and said, you know what, I think it's a great idea. And even when I started vacillating about, should I do it? I'm a single mom. She was like, no, we're going to do this. And so then it was my other business partner. And ladies, you'll appreciate this. You know, never burn bridges with those ex-boyfriends. You know, told him about the idea and he also encouraged me on the idea. And so we all started working. I literally started, stood on 125th Street doing a survey asking people, do you bowl? Do you like to bowl? If there was a bowling alley in Harlem, would you go? Because you need market research. Absolutely. You need market research. And it's funny to be right there on that ground floor level, really saying, you know, right there, you are the owner or the, the future owner, but you're right there handing out and, and really accepting these. What, what was the consensus? You know, so people started saying, yes, we started going down to other bowling alleys and asking the people where they were from. And, you know, if you're going to do a business, I always tell people, you got to do your research. And mm-hmm. in our case, sometimes you have to create the research because there wasn't a library that I could go to and find out if right. people like to bowl. So you've got to ask questions because a lot of times it's your idea, but you need to know that other people want to support that idea. Right. So you've got to do your research. And so that's what we did. Um, when we got enough data to say, yes, we have people in this community that want to do this mm-hmm. and would support it, we were then able to uh, have me write a business plan. Okay. <laughs> and so, Speaking of you writing a business plan, I know that different people who are on the show and different entrepreneurs and things, like that, they all have different levels of education. Can you speak to yours really quickly? Well, I have a bachelor's degree from Tufts University and an MBA from Columbia Business School. And so Columbia is really the place that taught me how to write a business plan and right. the art of starting a business. But I And I really give props to Columbia because I went back to school and said, listen, I'm trying to do this project. And they were very, very supportive. And I got a lot of support from them. And then I had... Did, yeah. did you go back to the school? Did you go back to school after you decided you wanted to do Harlem Lens or had you had your MBA? Prior? I had my MBA, but I went back to the professors. My We had a, just oh, started wow. an entrepreneurship program at Columbia. And I was one of the first students to graduate from that entrepreneurship program. And I went back to my professor and said hey, I'm taking this degree and I want to utilize it. I'd wrote my business school application saying that one day I was going to take what I was learning on Wall Street and bring that business acumen back to Harlem. So I went back to school and said, listen, I'm finally doing what I told you I was going to do if you gave me that MBA and now I need you to support me a little bit. And so they did. Um, And I went back to my former company, Booz Allen and Hamilton, and I talked to one of the partners there and said, listen, I'm trying to do this thing for the community. I, I think that we need to have more black business owners and I love the education that I've been able to receive. But what I miss is seeing black business owners in the community and I miss mm-hmm. having a place to go to and I need your help. So I got free consulting for my former my former job. So there are a lot of people who, when I told them the idea, just really supported me. Um, even Congressman Rangel, I mean, I went to his office, told them what I was doing, you know, Assemblyman Keith Wright, people were just so supportive of the idea. And I tell people, you need a village to get your idea off the ground. Um, And, you know, sometimes people are shy to tell their idea because they think people are going to steal it. But you've got to get support. Um, You've got to know that there's buy-in from from day one. Exactly. And I think the other thing is that the people, they might try to steal an idea, but they still have to do the work. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, (laughs) right? And that's one of the, that and planning are two things in entrepreneurship. No, just planning and yeah, and the work that I feel like people don't talk enough about, give enough uh, credit to. Yeah, you planning. know, I think you've, we've all heard the saying that it takes 25 years to be an overnight success. Right. And that's the truth about starting your business. I mean, you know, Harlem Lanes opened up in 2006, but right. the idea, you know, the seed started in 2001. 
So count. 2001 to right, 2006. 2006. So we, five did a, years. we did a lot of work in between um, in terms of writing the business plan, right? going out and trying to seek funding for the business plan, trying to find a location for the business plan, getting people involved. Like I got people involved before we opened the door to get excited about the opportunity, mm. constructing out the space. So that's a long time to dedicate yourself towards a vision without being able to see that vision. Right, and that, I think that's where a lot of entrepreneurs give up because how do you stay motivated during that time? You know, you know, without being able to see this building physically. That's a great question. I mean, for me, a lot of it has to do with my personal faith. Um, I believe that through God, all things are possible, and I tell people that all the time. But even if that's not what you believe in, I think you've got to believe in yourself, and you've got to believe in your idea, and you've got to be passionate, and you've got to also circle yourself with other entrepreneurs. It's really hard not to have a village supporting you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're in a corporate job like I was and you want to leave that cop- corporate job to start a business, a lot of people are going to tell you you're stupid, you're crazy, you're giving up your steady income, you know, so you need to surround yourself with people who've done it. You know, I started talking to the small business owners in the community, you know, I, I want to say thank you to the Woods family. I'd go sit in, in, in uh, Sylvia's and sit down with them and just talk about how they had done it, how their mother and father had started their business, some of the local bar owners in the community, you know, we look at those people and those businesses and we forget they've been here forever and they have a wealth of knowledge. And it's mm. not about an MBA. They've got street creds and they know <laughs> what it means to own and operate a business with nothing. And they didn't have social media to help them market their business. So they were really some of my best teachers. And, and I really appreciate the advice and the support they gave me. Okay. So you, you did this. You Now, you know, you're speaking to people who've had, got street cred. The face of Harlem has changed. Things are really, really shifting around here. What are, you, what are your thoughts? You know, I've got some very strong thoughts on that. You know, obviously, like everyone else, I appreciate the gentrification that's going on in Harlem. But I'm also disappointed um, in the fact that I don't think we've brought a lot of our small business owners um, to the table mm-hmm. for this discussion and this opportunity. And I, I tell people all the time, I look around and I think that Black business owners especially are indigenous. I mean, they are dying left and right, and we're not really saying enough about it. And so we've got to understand that our young Black kids and Hispanic kids, they look around and they don't see people that look like them owning the business. They don't think that they can do it. And so we need to make sure that we're bringing more small business owners back to the table and taking part in this regentrification of Harlem. Okay. Okay, so now you we got a new Harlem. It's a different uh, era, but what is so two thousand and six? Now five years of basically grinding, getting everybody involved, things like that. What happens next? You open up your doors, two thousand six. What does that look like? Well, you know, I'll take a step back. I'll tell you. I think that I talked about the business plan, but I tell a lot of entrepreneurs that are trying to start a business, you need three plans, and the first plan is obviously that business plan that talks about what your ideas and and how you're going to get money for it. But the second plan, and that's really a really hard plan, is what happens the day you open the door. It's mm. called the operation plan. The how operation are you going plan. to work this business? You know, who's going to run it? How are things going to be done? How are you going to market it day to day? You know, everyone and most entrepreneurs know the truth. Once you get that money from your funders, that business plan goes on the shelf. But you need an operating plan that helps you to run the business every day. And then the third plan, and very few people who have this plan is a life plan. Like, how is your life going to operate while you're running this business? So when we opened up the doors, I was excited and I thought, wow, we got through the hard part. 
What I didn't know was the hard part was just beginning. <laughs> the real work was coming. <laughs> the real work was coming. <laughs> so, And it's funny that you say that because I was asking you earlier, you told me that you went from being full-time to part-time back to full-time. Yes. So when we opened up Harlem Lanes for the first three years, my partner and I, um, we worked there every single day. I mean, most people don't realize Harlem Lanes was open 365 days. And, what? Uh, I didn't know that. We were open... Um, I spent Christmas, Thanksgiving, New Year's in Harlem Lanes, and wow. my partner and I we raised our we raised our daughters inside of Harlem Lanes. Um, my daughter is 15 years old now, and she's an extremely savvy business owner because at the time she was terrorizing all my workers running around Harlem Lanes, <laughs> but she learned a lot being there. So you know, entrepreneurship is a hard one; it's a hard journey, but. When we got those doors open, we had a lot of people that worked for us and we had to learn how to operate. And even though I had that fancy degree, I'd never run a business. Right. So it was very different. Mm -hmm. The idea to the execution, it's very, very hard. And so that's why that operating plan comes into effect. And then afterwards, I realized that all that nice, nice numbers I had, I needed to take myself off of um, our payroll because what I had not planned for was the market meltdown. And we all know there was a huge market meltdown. And so as a business plan, that was not anything I had factored into it. Mm -hmm. And so in order for me to keep our business going, my partner and I took ourselves off of our payroll. I went back to work. And then after work, I would come back to the lanes. So I was sleeping like three or four hours a day. For six, for how many years? For another three to four years. Another three to four years. People don't realize. I mean, you you really have to go in and give all, everything you have. Wow. So... Nine to five, but in order to be ready for that nine, that nine o'clock, you got to be up at six, yeah, six, I seven mean, o'clock. I literally, you know, people think I'm exaggerating, but we were open 365 days and literally I would, you know, get up at six and I'd go to bed somewhere around two, three o'clock in the morning and do it all over again. Because you guys were closing at what, 1 a.m.? We were lane? closing at 1 a.m. Um, and, and then Fridays, Saturdays, we were closing at four or five o'clock in the morning. Wow. So it was just, it was a tough journey. It was definitely tough. Um, you know, I think if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you've got to have mental toughness and you got to be in good health. And, you know, we, that's why I said the third plan is the life plan. Right. Because you don't realize that all these things take place. And I don't advocate any of that because what most people don't know is I wound up having a mini stroke doing those kind of hours. You oh, know, I'm sorry working, working so long. And again, you know, I thank God for my family. I thank God for the people who supported me because we all kept, we kept it very quiet. Mm-hmm. But working those days and working those hours and not sleeping is very stressful. Um, How did so you bounce back from that? And and, I mean, what are some things that you I want to know, how did you bounce back from that? And what are some things that what is some advice that you have for people who are still uh, who have that mentality? I only need three hours. I'm going to work that hard. You know, it's funny because I I coach people now who are starting the business or who are already in the middle of their business. And I tell them, you've got to take a break. You know, like I said, I have a tremendous amount of faith. And, you know, in the Bible, it says you're supposed to take that day of rest. And us entrepreneurs, we often don't take that day of rest. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to be good to your team, if you're going to be good to your family, you've got to step back. you got to stay back and take care of yourself. Get some rest. Your body is a machine. (laughs) And if you don't feed it right, if you don't rest, if you don't, you know, exercise, it's eventually going to break down, which is what happened to me. Um, and so it's hard because you think that you can't leave your business. It's your business. But one thing I write about in my book is that you've got to have an A-team and you've got to create an A-team to help support your business because you can't do it alone. And then you've got to trust them to run it for a little bit. And you've got to take that time to get some rest and then come back rejuvenated. 
and to be your best. Yeah, so you can actually contribute. Yeah. So how did you guys, uh, how did you manage that? <laughs> um, you know, when my partner and I, we, we had very different strengths. And so we were kind of each other's yin and yang. You know, there were things that she did in the business. You know, people, a lot of times they saw her. She was the face on the day-to-day. Right. You know, you might see me on the interviews because she didn't like going in front of cameras. And, <laughs> and you're doing a great job. And I would do that part. Right now. But she was doing, she was doing a lot of the other hard work. So we really complimented each other. Um, in terms of what our different skill sets were. You know, a lot of times people didn't see me because I was, you know, in the back office doing those spreadsheets and things Mm -hmm. along those lines and managing the employees, doing some of the marketing. And so we really worked together. And I think that if you're going to have partners, you have to be very specific and define each other's roles. What are you going to do? You've got to define what's going to happen if you disagree with each other. You know, how are you going to resolve those issues? And I think a lot of times people are just so excited about having a business that they don't take time to define all the small details. Right. And that's what I try to coach my clients on. How do you manage those small details that are not in the business plan? Mm-hmm. You know, so you want to keep one employee. She wants to get rid of the other employee. Yeah. You know, wow. It's, it's all those little things that can make or break a business. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. That's good stuff. <laughs> I'm sitting here. I'm, I'm like listening, 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 listening. Uh, so with that, like, how do you, um, what are some tips that you have for managing that relation? Hold on. Even before we go there, you guys managed to raise how much money for Harlem Lanes? Uh, we raised $7 million for Harlem Lanes. Um, initially, it was only supposed to be about three. But again, world events impacted our small little business idea. You know, as I said, we all remember 9-11. But what that did, was that it? Uh, China started gobbling up all the steel prices, and so we were building a bowling alley in a hundred-year-old building. We we're adding a whole new floor. So I told you I had an MBA, but I did not have a structural engineering degree. Right. Um, so I, I really got my degree in the School of Hard Knocks, building out Harlem Lanes because we went in this building and we had to build it from scratch. And so steel prices went up, all of our costs went up. So all my original numbers—I mean, they more than doubled. Um, right there on the spot as you're actually going into. Yeah. I mean, the, so one of the things that happened was as we were trying to get our funding and we were getting our funding from all the different sources that are out there. We had an SBA loan for $1.7 million initially, probably one of the largest SBA loans that they have ever decided to give someone. We actually turned it down, but, you know, we did get it. We had. Why'd you turn it down? Because um, I tell people, again, when you look at your funding sources, our, we had, let me tell you, so we had SBA loan, we had private equity money, we had wealthy individuals. And so trying to go through the SBA process was kind of slowing down everything because the other two sources of funding, they were much faster in terms of making decisions. Right. And so as we were going through the SBA loan, we couldn't get all of the parties to agree. And so we finally said, you know, what, we're going to have to put our homes up on the line. I tell people all the time, you know, if you can avoid putting your home on the line to collateralize a loan, please do it. Because if your business fails, you want to have a home to go back to. Right. So what we did instead was we took out home equity loans. And so it was better that way. So we could still retain our home ownership without having a lien against our home. But we took out a home equity line. You know, I actually sold my house. So there were different things that we did. So we didn't want to do the SBA because that meant that we would have put our homes on the line and would have continued to drag out the loan process because we couldn't get them to agree with what the private equity guys wanted. Private equity guys a lot faster in their decision making. Mm -hmm. But again, they're kind of going to be harder. They're going to want more ownership of your business. They're, they're, 
terms are going to be a little bit more stringent. So you've got to decide, you know, what's your risk appetite? What are you willing to give away um, to get your business off the ground? And a lot of times business owners want 100% ownership. Well, if, unless you have 100% of the money, you're not going to have 100% ownership. Right. And that's okay because once you get that business up and running, the next one can be yours 100%. Right. You know, so you've got to just be clear about what your real goal is and, and be able to negotiate with these lenders and realize what you're bringing to the table and think about how bad you want to get this business done. And so that's the kind of stuff that we talked about. And that's why we turned down the SBA loan. Oh, that's awesome. I just want to give you a hug. Like that was so much game right there. We have Miss Sharon Joseph here, the founder of Harlem Lanes, the first and only black founded, owned, and ran bowling alleys. Bowling alleys. Wow. Mm-hmm. So that's big in the United States of America. All right, Miss Joseph, go on with your bad self. So before we got off of the air, before we took our musical break, Ms. Joseph, she was telling us about her raising $7 million uh, for her business and then also saying, hey, you know what? $1.7 million of that uh, we didn't need. I'll just, instead of taking nine, what, 8.7, we'll just take the seven. With that, for those out there who are looking to raise money for their businesses, Ms. Joseph, can you give us three to five tips on, you know, somebody could go about? Yeah, I mean, I think raise, finding money changes depending on you know, if you're a startup or if you're an existing business. So let's say you're looking to start up a business. You know, there are a lot more things that are out there than when I was looking at the time. I mean, I think one of the best things people can do now is crowdfunding. You know, you put your idea out there and you can raise money through crowdfunding. We didn't have that. Crowdfunding was called our parents, our loved ones, our friends, you know. And that's that's a true source of crowdfunding. Just understand when you take money from your family, you have to see them at Thanksgiving. So again, I may not suggest that one either, um, especially if you don't pay them back. It could really make Thanksgiving uncomfortable. Um, second, I think that obviously with most of us, you write a business plan. And right now, if you've got a good idea, there's money out there. So there are a lot of private investors looking to put money into a good business idea. But I, I tell people this, you want to be rich? Well, make sure you have a problem that is a problem that everyone has. And what do you mean by that? The bigger the problem that you're solving, the more money you'll make. So, for example, mm-hmm. the reason why Apple or Google, they're so rich, because the problem that they solved, it seems like billions of people had that problem. So when you come up with an idea, I always ask people, what's the problem you're trying to solve? And then, based on what that problem is, find out if there are people who put money into solving those kinds of problems. You know, so we had a problem in a small community, Harlem. I started going to investors who I know who were interested in economic development. So I went to government agencies that put money into economic development. I went to investors who were interested in social impact. And so my pitch was that I was creating this bowling alley because I wanted to provide jobs to inner city young people. And so there are a lot of wealthy people who had an interest in supporting a business that were, was going to provide jobs. And there are a lot of government agencies that were interested in, you know, giving money to people who were providing jobs. But if you're, you know, your idea is tech, there's money chasing tech ideas. So again, you've got to look into the industry. Now, if you're an already existing business, Sometimes that's harder, right? How do you find money when you already have your idea up and running? So, you know, if you're a business like mine where you have cash receivables, there are lots of vendors now that are looking to put money and they use, they give you money based on your receivables, your daily cash flow. Now that money's a little expensive, but I tell people, again, sometimes you have to make some short-term decisions and then refinance out later, right? So 
I'm not necessarily advocating taking loans where you put your house for collateral, but you can take out the home equity line out of your home. You know, if you're thinking about starting a business over the next year or so, we'll start to put a little bit of money away. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't have to just quit your job today. You say, I'm going to start a business next year. Well, then start putting money away because any bank or any vendor that you go to, they're all going to want to see what you're putting in it because everyone wants to know that you have some skin in the game. And then last, um, you know, the New York City Small Business Unit, they have places where you can go and they will assist you. There are a lot of programs now. Every time you turn on the computer, there's something popping up with some kind of, you know, incubator program. There are lots of, New York City has a great incubator program. So try to join one of those programs because not only will you get some kind of funding, but you'll also get assistance in terms of helping you with marketing and all those other things that are really important. So those are my tips for you. And again, that's why, you know, a lot of people hire me because I kind of, help them walk through some of these things, both pre-starting your business and while you're running a business. Okay. Awesome. I want to kind of go back a little bit where you talked about Harlem Lane starting in one space. And then, of course, you guys had to improve and uh, make changes. So what what were some of the, the habits or the mindsets that you had to break in order to take Harlem Lanes to another level once you guys actually opened the door? You know, again, I think for me personally, it was getting out of my corporate self. You know, I, I tried to come to Harlem Lanes with my corporate hat. You know, I wanted to hide behind my spreadsheets and really operate from a spreadsheet person. Mm -hmm. And my partner, um, she was very much about talking to people. You know, she was out there talking to people, trying to understand. She'd bring them back and she'd have a drink and she'd really get to know you one-on-one where I wanted to know from the stats, how many people came through the door that day, you know? (laughs) So I had to learn that in order to be a part of a business that felt with people, I had to be a people person. Now, I get along with folks, but I was hiding in the office. So if you're going to run a business, you've got to be very customer service friendly. And that means not just your employees, but you've got to be customer. You've got to take, you've got to care about the people that are supporting you. And we have people who really, truly cared about us. Um, you know, I've just, my best customer was 92 years old and she came in and she said, I wish you girls had started this 10 years ago so I'd have a much longer time to hang out here and support you all. Wow. You got you to love wow. that. You just got to love that, you know? Um, and so it was just really nice. You know, the little kids giving me my feedback, your pizza sucks. Now that's some feedback, you know? I got to work <laughs> yeah, on my tell you pizza. the truth. <laughs> You know, so I, I'd come back out and be like, how's the pizza today? It's much better. I mean, you got to get your customer feedback. Mm. So you can only get that not just from the spreadsheets, but actually interacting with your customers. And that will help your business. Second, for me, what was really important, like I told you, I put that in my business plan. I wanted to empower people in the community because I'd been empowered by my small business owners. So we hired a lot of young people who had been incarcerated. And most people didn't realize that. And for me, that was really a wonderful chance to give young Black men especially a second chance. And they turned out to be some of our best workers. You know, we had a a general manager who started out as our porter. And I remember when he came through the interview process, he had given out, he said about 100 resumes and no one would give him a chance. And we gave him a chance as a porter, which was basically our janitor. Mm -hmm. And he was a smart guy who was on his way to college, but made a simple mistake like, how you said, Alan Iverson, you make a little mistake. You just need somebody to give you that shot. And he turned out to be one of our best workers. All of our guys who were incarcerated were our best workers to the point that when I was closing the lanes, it was some of those guys, those same guys who were incarcerated, who were helping me to the very last minute um, close up the lanes. And so 
I would always hire guys. And if you're listening and you have a business, you know, give those guys and women a second chance because they're going to be the ones that really appreciate it. Uh, talk a little bit about that story of the guys really helping you to the to the end. All the way to the end. All the way to the end. I tell you, one guy felt so bad. His his wife called because it was like two o'clock in the morning. And he's like, he's like, baby, I'm still with Miss Sharon. We're closing up the lanes, and I had to get on the phone with her and say he's still here working. He's not doing anything else. These guys had felt they felt like this was their home. They had been able to bring their families. It was a place where they got a lot of respect. We we respected each and every one of them. We gave them a sense of responsibility again. Um, you know, we've got to understand that nowadays we're putting our young black men and women in jail at earlier age and they're smart. You know, they just want a chance. They want a chance to provide for their families and we've got to stop allowing the stigma to stay with them. Mm-hmm. And so what Harlem Lanes did was that they, they got a place where they could come and show their kids, you know, this is where daddy works. And they were really proud and their kids were like, oh, my dad works at Harlem Lanes or my mom works at Harlem Lanes. And that sense of pride really motivated them and they would just come in and hit the ground running. So again, I, I think that we've got to think about how we treat our incarcerated young men and women and give them a second chance. That's so. amazing, Sharon. And I like something that you said. You said, focus on the people that work for you in addition to people who are your clients. And you can't get away with, you know, you can't get away with how kind of like how corporate America may treat their clients. But not if you're in a retail environment, because an angry employee makes an angry customer, and you know your employees are not dispensable. They're, 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 the, face, they're well. the first, of, the face of your business. So, mm-hmm. as an employer, first I will tell you is to hire a a employees. You you really have to hire good people, mm-hmm. and a good person is not someone who has this great resume necessarily. But you can see those signs of someone who's really going to be a hard worker. You know, it's expensive employee turnover, and I talk about that with my clients. So you've got to hire an A team. And it's hard sometimes because you don't have a big budget, but invest in them. Like we invested in our employees and I'll tell you that sense of pride that they had, they showed that to the customers. Later on, when we got away from really investing in our employees, people noticed that because our employees weren't so nice to our customers. Mm. And then we got that feedback on Yelp, you know, this person's lazy, this person's not. So you've got to hug your employees and teach them to hug the customers. And that's really, really important because while you're not there, they're messing up your brand. So invest in your employees. Wow. That's huge. Making that investment. You helped, what, over 300 young people over six years find find employment, build skills, and their resumes? Yeah. I mean, I'm so glad that we were able to help so many people. And again, you know, I don't want to say I because it wasn't I. It was it was a team. And, you know, our other partner, Stanley Goodrich, he lives in Boston. He was such an intricate part of our business. You know, our investors were an intricate part. We actually, you know, going back to who were our investors, our investors were other entrepreneurs, you know, who had very successful businesses. And so I also encourage you to get entrepreneurs to invest in your business mm-hmm. because they can help you. So you you, lev- you leverage not just their money, but their business acumen. Mm-hmm. And so 300 employees um, came through that door and we we're just really blessed. Like when I walk down the streets of Harlem, it's so nice to run into one of my former employees and hear them say, you know what? I, I've started my own business. Wow. Or a single mom, she's like, got herself together now. She's got another job because she was able to build off of her resume at Harlem Lanes and she's gotten another job. People still call me for recommendations and I'm proud to help them because it's part of our community. You know, that's why I said we need more Black business businesses in our community to employ our kids, but to also circulate our dollars back in our community. I mean, that is true Black economic empowerment, not just giving somebody a $7 an hour job. 
but that's another story. I'm not here for that. <laughs> not today, but we, we we will definitely be having you back. Um, so while you were there, people used to come in those doors of Harlem Lane and ask you a lot of questions about certain things. Can you elaborate on that aspect of uh, working there as well? Um, you know, I think that for us, the biggest thing was people were always asking us, um, how did we do it? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was great hearing the ideas that we had. So we used to, we used to have an office in the back room and my partner has a psychology psychology degree. So people would come in and talk to her about their problems and they would come in and talk to me about how they wanted to start a business. And so that was really the thing that helped me realize just how much I love helping people who want to start their business, who already have an existing business. And, you know, that's why I started my consulting firm because I realized we were doing it. We were literally holding shop in the back room in the office, taking turns. I'm like, okay, well, you got a client for your, your psychology time. Now I've got a consulting client, so you got to move out. And all of this was free. We were just doing it for free because it was our passion. You know, she really enjoyed helping people. Um, which I tell you, I, I thought made her a great bartender as well. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so that's how you got into the uh, consulting. So now you're doing consulting in addition to holding down a full-time job because I'm still a single mother with a daughter going off to college. And I tell entrepreneurs all the time, you don't, you don't always have to make the leap completely where I 100% have my foot in the entrepreneurship door. There are other times like now where I hold down a full-time job and yet I still have my consulting clients um, that I work with and help them raise money for their business, write their business plan, or just coach them on different parts of it. Because sometimes, like you said, when you're an entrepreneur, you feel by yourself. You just need someone else to talk to. It's a lonely road. It's definitely a journey. (laughs) It's a lonely road. Your your daughter is a rising uh, volleyball superstar. How tall is she again? My daughter is six foot two. I guess it was eating all those french fries in Harlem Lanes. Wow, (laughs) she's taller than me. She's taller than me. I never (laughs) fell short in my life before. But again, just really proud of her because... uh, she really learned a lot being in that thing. But at one point I thought she was going to be a bowling star because she was knocking down those balls in the <laughs> Harlem Lanes. But uh, <laughs> she's decided that volleyball and golf is her thing. So Okay. So what would you say is the, the most rewarding part of being an entrepreneur, creating your life so far? You know, I think that the most rewarding part for me is giving back. Um, you know, a lot of people want to be an entrepreneur because they want to be their own boss. And I tell them that that's a fallacy. You're never truly your own boss when you're an entrepreneur. You're because your investors become your boss, mm-hmm. your customers become your boss, and your employees, believe it or not, become your boss. So, yes, you have some level of autonomy, but you still have all these people that you're reporting into, you know. And so that's rewarding. But the real part is knowing that you've taken an idea from inside your head and now you see it. I mean, that is the most incredible thing in the world to know that you just had this idea and you've actually executed the idea. And then for me, it's being able to make an impact in people's lives and and feel like I've made a difference in this world. And going back to my 9-11 story that, you know, knowing that I can say I helped someone because we're all here, not just for ourselves, but to give back and to plant good seeds. And so seeing those 300 seeds, you know, one or two of those seeds coming back and saying that they've done their own thing really makes me feel good. Wow. Okay, so Ms. Joseph, what is next for you? What, what's going on? You got the consultant business going on. How many t- clients do you take on at a time? You know, I try to keep it small because I really do a lot of hands-on. So we do workshops where we allow more people to come into the workshops mm-hmm. and the workshops can be 50 to 100. But from a personal client base, I try never to go over 10 because I really give a lot of my time and energy Absolutely. to folks. Um, so we, we keep the consulting on an individual basis to a small number, but the workshops will allow 25 to 50 
people to come into the workshops at a time. When and where are the workshops? The workshops are, we try to do them, you know, every other month. Okay. Um, they're Transform You. So we have workshops on creating the brand calls you because a lot of people need to understand that they're the CEO of their own lives. Mm-hmm. And so how do you create your own brand? Second, you know, again, you know, you've started the business. Now what? Um, going back to, like I said, understanding that the three very important plans, that business plan, that operating plan, and that life plan. Then it's finding your passion and your purpose because so many of us are caught in that corporate rut where we're not living authentic lives. And so in order for you to really become an entrepreneur, you've got to become authentic with who you are and what your true passion is. I can't be you. Like you're a great radio show host. Love what you're doing. Maybe you could teach me afterwards, but we've got to be authentic. Right. We really have to know who we are and, you know, kind of get that first before we can execute on everything else. So we talk about a lot of those things. Okay. So, but you also want to help how many uh, people start their own business? I want to, I want to help as many people as possible start their own business. And then really what I want to do is to get a little bit of equity in everybody's business and then, you know, get my millions based on that. So um, that's what I'm trying to do when I grow up. Okay. And you want to release your book. When is this book coming out? Because I got to get a signed copy. Well, I'm going to, I'm, even now, if you email me, you can get the PDF because we're doing ebooks now. Email um, address. <laughs> email address is AskSharonJ, A-S-K-S-H-A-R-O-N-J at gmail.com. Again, okay. it's A-S-K-S-H-A-R-O-N-J at gmail.com. And if somebody, I'm sorry to cut you off because I want people to get this information. If somebody wants that consulting from you, can they email you or is there a number for they them to contact you? They can email me. If they can email me, email is the best way to get me. Okay. And if you email me, you can sign up. I'll also send you the times for our various workshops. If there are organizations that want us to bring the workshops to the organization, we do that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I do a lot of speaking events for organizations where I go, I go in and I speak schools also. So, and then there's also two other people on my team that talk about these things. We've got someone who talks about transforming your life from a, an internal side, from weight. There's another one who talks about, you know, positive energy as a gift. So we really are um, trying to help people become totally complete in this process and this journey. Help people create their life, right? Create their lives. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> See? Yeah, we just got to institute a high five on that. So, Miss Sharon, Joseph, we are very, very happy to have you here. Um, thank you so much for your time, for your expertise, and for your energy. Like you are a beautiful person, and you have helped out so many people in our community. You've actually inspired me to, uh, you know, I recently hired an assistant, but I'm actually, you know, looking to expand the team a bit more. We have Miss Sharon Joseph, the owner of Harlem Lanes, uh, here in uh, in Harlem, actually, you know, because City College is in Harlem, and so we're back. And I just want to do a quick recap of all of the beautiful tools that she dropped on us. So. Uh, first thing that I want to say is, is she said that you need three plans. You have to have three plans. You have to have that business plan, which, of course, is great when you're trying to recruit the money, get the money for your business and things like that. But then once you have that business plan, once you actually get the funding and you open up the doors, then that's when your operational plan comes into into play. And that's actually how you're going to run the business and make things happen. And then from there you're going to also need a life plan because you are going to need to understand how your life is going to fit and mesh with uh, your business and your operational plan. So something that somebody has said to me, uh, Dr. Raphael Moffat, who was a guest here before, you know, sometimes people say, oh, you know, you need good work-life balance. And he said, no, instead of work-life balance, why don't you try work-life integration? 
And so if you can achieve that, then that would be amazing. And so an expert like Sharon Joseph or like myself would be great to consult with you or be great to, to coach you into having that balance and also creating this plan. Something else that she said that was amazing. She said, find funding for your business. Don't try to finance it by yourself or have to put your house up because a lot of businesses fail and a lot of businesses go through tough times, but you don't want to have put your house up and then end up losing your house because your venture didn't become successful. Uh, she also said that location is very important, understanding where it is that you want to put your business, where it is that your business should be. She actually even gave us some tips on finding funding. She said that you want to look into the industry that you're in and find out if there are any associations or different government opportunities available. Then she said you want to use lenders, but you want to actually have be smart and get smart money. Because remember, she said she would turn down one point. She turned down one point seven million dollars from the SBA because they couldn't press the the go button, the start button as fast as some of her other lenders could. And she wanted to get the ball going so that then she could then begin to empower the community. And then she also said that, you know, use small business units in the city and to also tap into different government agencies, you know, that uh, were looking to do things like economic empowerment, you know, which is you providing jobs and and helping people uh, in the community and then social impact. The same thing. So you really want to look for these things. And she actually even talked about having an MBA from Columbia University and literally going out on the corners of 125th Street, taking surveys from people, having people fill out surveys with a clipboard. Like that's what it's going to take. And she also talked about sacrifice and the importance of taking time out to nurture yourself. You know, she was very candid with us and said that she had a a stroke a mini stroke while not by only sleeping three to four hours. So she stressed the importance of balance. So create your life series family as you're creating your life. We want you to have some balance. We want you to do things in a way that's going to be beneficial for you uh, long term. So if you have any uh, questions or any further feedback that you want to uh, provide to us, of course, hit us up on Instagram at CYL series uh, in order to let us know what it is you know, that you, how you feeling about the show and, and what it is that you love about the Create Your Life series. And if you want to have anybody on there, if you have any recommendations, anybody that you feel like should be on the show, then please hit us up. Send us a DM. This is the Create Your Life series. We're always, always a pleasure to have you here. Create Your Life series family. We'll see you next week. This episode of the Create Your Life series is brought to you by Manage Soul Food, a salad bar restaurant in Harlem, New York. Manage is open seven days a week from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. Menace has been serving soul food in Harlem for 31 years. They have now added healthier options to their 8th Avenue locations menu, such as steamed dumplings and fresh salad bar, and all of their food is cooked with fresh herbs like garlic, rosemary, thyme, basil, and ginger. You can find out which location is close to you by visiting their website, soulfood.com.